This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. We're here. We oh, are not really. here. We're at the, fi- the Final Four. Yeah. yeah. Final Four is fun, though. Like, the Final Four is like, I, I feel like a lot of memories are made in the Final Four. And then Absolutely. the Super Bowl, turns, Super Bowl turns into, like, the one play memory with the halftime show. You know, <laughs> that's just got to, in the commercials, maybe. But no, maybe for most people. But I, I'm I'm stoked for these Final these final Four games. We got repeat matchups. We got fresh matchups. So I think it's great. But we're here. We're here. This is week, what, 19, 20? Week 21? Wow. 21 straight weeks, buddy. <laughs> we, we, we've got to this point, and then we're, we're almost there to the big shebang at the end. It's fun. Uh, by the end, yeah. obviously, it's been a long, long season, but it, these games make it easy to get juiced up. If, yes. if the best games weren't at the end, I'm not sure that I would be able to keep it up in, in the way that we do. But because they are, it makes it a little bit yes. easier. We're going to dig really into does. both of these games, obviously, preview both the conference championship games today. But before we do that, some news before we started recording. Frank Reich is yeah. the new head coach of the Carolina Panthers. We're not going to talk about this at length. I'm sure Sando and I will touch on a lot of the coaching news developments on Monday, which I know doesn't help right now, but there's going to be more <laughs> stuff that trickles out between now and then. Your initial reactions to Frank Reich getting the job in Carolina. I think it's a guy that deserves another chance at it. Uh, I thought he would maybe do the offensive coordinator kind of, you know, recovery uh you know reputation recovery even though i don't think maybe this 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 colts year was it's such a i will dissect it i'm sure over the next few months but i like it i think the panthers are a team that has a lot better personnel than people realize especially on defense but their offensive line was solid last year they got dj Moore. they got some interesting pieces they got kind of a a, a guy that has shown that he can win games could put together a nice offense could be a, an adult in the room um maybe the you know it's not fair to what happened after uh, Matt Rule, but uh, but really, you know, just get somebody that kind of knows what he's doing. It's been experienced in the NFL. Like you're going from a guy that's had one year in the NFL as an assistant offensive line coach to a guy that's like a lifer in the yeah. NFL. So I think maybe that helps too. And whatever quarterback they decide to go, whatever path they decide to go, you got a guy that I feel like is pretty good as a. I hate using the term quarterback whisperer, but a guy that any quarterback can lean on uh, as a play caller and put stuff together. I like the hire. I, I think it's a nice solid hire for the Panthers. Obviously, this year was a disaster for the Colts, but it was a disaster on five different levels. The bottom totally fell out. I think that Matt Ryan ran out of road physically, and that just will come for everyone. It came faster than the Colts would have hoped after making that trade. The offensive line was a nightmare. That's the big thing. They they could not operate on offense at times this season because of some of the holes that they had up front. If you look at 2000, even at post-luck, okay? They weren't great with Jacoby Brissett, but Jacoby Brissett was their starting quarterback with about two weeks of notice after Andrew yeah. Luck retired on the eve of the season. Hey, let's say that 2019 at least is a wash. <laughs> yes. 2020, they have a top 10 offense in weighted DVOA by the end of the season with mm-hmm. a 38-year-old Phillip Rivers. By mm-hmm. the end of the year, the team was really good. Remember really that good. game they played against Buffalo and just yes. how good they looked on offense? Yep. And that was before Michael Pittman had really emerged. Yep. They didn't have many weapons. The line was very good back then, but Jonathan Taylor wasn't the Jonathan Taylor we saw last year. By the oh. end of the season, I think that's 
where a lot of those lingering good feelings about those Colts teams and the optimism about them comes from is what they looked like on offense by the end of that year. So then Rivers yep. leaves, and I know that it wasn't a great season. They totally crapped out against the Jags. The wheels fell off. We're given outside of the plane impromptu press conferences on Twitter. They were a top 10 offense yes. for almost the entire season with yes. Carson Wentz at quarterback. And I know a lot of that was the running game, but Carson Wentz was middling in a lot yep. of efficiency metrics that year. They made him look at times for most of the year like a functional NFL quarterback. Mm -hmm. We have seen what Carson Wentz has looked like the year before he got there in Philly and what he yes. looks like this year in Washington. So I know that the overall results from the Colts haven't been great, but I think given the quarterback situation and given some of the other kind of underlying issues with the roster that ultimately started to play out. Mm -hmm. I have no issue with Frank Wright getting another chance. And I think that if they get that guy, whether it be in this year's draft somehow, if you move up mm -hmm. with some of the picks that you got in the CMC trade, you position yourself to really find a young answer. We've yes. never seen him do that. No. And I'm, I'd like, be curious to see him do that because yeah. I think a lot of guys were – Matt Ryan was excited to go play with Matt for Frank Reich after yeah. having conversations with Peyton Manning, with Phillip Rivers, guys who were around him, had played for him. And I think that a young quarterback should be excited to work yeah. with Frank Reich. So I understand it went point. really poorly at the end in, in Indianapolis, but I do think that Frank Reich is a good head coach. And I really have come around on this idea of retread is such a dirty word, giving yeah. guys another shot who have shown a capacity for the job. Correct. Right? So Doug Peterson, we've talked about this. People were doing backflips when the Jags hired Doug Peterson. And I understand he won a Super Bowl and his yeah. resume as a head coach looks better than Frank Reich's. But Frank Reich was a solid head coach whose teams were mm -hmm. winning eight, nine, ten games a year, even post-Andrew Luck. Mm -hmm. And I think that giving him another shot, I'm totally okay with that. If if we did a – even before the season, if we did a top ten offensive play caller show – I he would have made it. He, yeah. you know, not saying top three, four, but he would have made that top ten. And I think it just uh, speaks to his ability to adjust with all those quarterbacks and adjust what they did. That shows he understands just offensive football. Um, I think that Philip Rivers year, where you even mentioned it, like Pittman hadn't become Pittman yet. It was like this tight end offense with a, three tight ends all the time and kind Jack of funky Doyle and, and Eric Jack Doyle death death by a million mesh routes and corner routes like he leaned into that because well Phil Rivers is good at it so why why not do this and then the next year with Wentz and being more run centric and and trying to figure out what the Wentz is and throwing in some more RPOs with Wentz I think he just understands offensive football and he's been around and he's a guy that knows a lot of people, which also is not a bad thing for hiring assistants. That's something that I think is understated. And I think I'm going to come back to that a million times now because ever since that alarm bell, when we started breaking down the Broncos and that AFC West preview and I started going over all the assistant coaches and going, this could get bad if things go bad because <laughs> it just experience and that matters. And I think Frank Reich will have guys that he can tab on or, or rely on. Um, no, I, I agree with you. I think it's the retread thing. Like you said, it can have a, a bad connotation with it, but I do think he's a guy that does deserve another chance because he has shown success and has shown that what he's supposed to be good at. He, oh yeah. He can be good at it in the right circumstances. No, no one predicted the Colts offensive line to look like that. I mean, I, I knew they weren't going to be great, but like, I remember you and I breaking it down going like, what is wrong with this unit? And 
sure enough, everything kind of fell after that. But that was the first kind of warning sign with this Colts team. There are some times where his guys could get him in trouble. I think that's what happened with Wentz. And I think that that right. when, you know, based on conversations with Zach Kiefer after he was fired, sometimes in the locker room, that was an issue. But guys learn. Guys get better. Yes. At this yes. job. I mean, think about what Dan Quinn looks like as a defensive play caller after getting fired. And I right. know it hasn't been a year off or three quarters of a year off for Reich the way it was for Dan Quinn, but he was fired in the middle of the year. He's had a lot of time to kind of sit back and think about this. So I think yep. it's a good hire. I think it's a stabilizing hire and we'll yep. see what happens to quarterback. I think that's the biggest question. That's it. That's it. And, but if they nailed that, holy crap, this Panthers team could be a, a very, a good team in a, in a hurry. Yep. Like they're, they're more primed to be good than I think people realize. I think so too. All right, let's get yep. to it. 49ers yeah. at Eagles Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern. Eagles are two and a half point favorites. And both of these games are fucking coin flip games, which is yeah. awesome. I mean, you cannot awesome. ask for anything more at this stage. The Eagles reminded us last week that this is the team, best team in the NFC. It has been all season. You know, they were mm-hmm. 15 and one with Jalen Hurts coming into the year. I remember just kind of sitting there in August when I normally would and looking at the roster. And saying, I think this is the best roster in the NFC, top to bottom. They have no holes. Mm -hmm. After trading for C.J. Gardner-Johnson especially, if you look at that team after that move and drafting Jordan Davis in the Mm -hmm. first round of the draft, what was the biggest weakness on the roster? Like For me, it was linebacker. That's it. That's it. So you had those two linebacker spots. You're like, "Eh, I don't know. No. Yeah, yeah. You know, other than that. You top to bottom, they had, and that was the case in 2017 when they had the best roster in the league. Right. So I, looking at it, I was like, man, this kind of feels like the way I was thinking about that team going into that season. I didn't pick them to go this far in the playoffs because I had my concerns about if you're on the road against Tampa or even if you're hosting Tampa and we thought the Bucs mm-hmm. were going to be really good or you're playing against one of these really good defenses, which they're about to do this weekend. What does Jalen Hurts look like in a playoff game? Because we had just seen that game against the Bucks, and it was mm-hmm. so fresh in my mind. It's like, that seems like a pretty big gap for him to get over, even with the rest of the roster. But two lessons, I think, that I've learned. One, how far that roster can take you and yeah. how much it can lift you. But also, what that sort of infrastructure can do for the development of a quarterback. And twofold, I think what the rest of the roster has done damage wise, but also how it's insulated him and really brought him to a different place. The plan came together. I mean, every single aspect of what you wanted this to be for the Eagles fell into place. And now we get to see if they can finish this whole thing off. Yeah, that's exactly it. It was that that Tampa game was like, ooh, okay, you know, know, Hertz has gotten a lot better, but man, he's got far away to go, you know, a long, long ways to go. And this whole year, all he does is improve. That's all he does is improve. That's how this whole uh, whole team really is. They improve and adjust. And I think, yes, there's still stuff that he has to work on, but it's been amazing to watch him do some things I didn't even know he had in his back. And I'll talk about it when breaking him down against the 49ers defense, but like throwing over the middle and, and anticipating a little bit on those throws rather than guessing where to go with the ball. It seemed like that he did last year. Just become comfortable getting reps. That, that, that matters. I think the other thing I underestimated – was as much as I we, we've talked about this, but as much as I loved AJ Brown, I just didn't understand if that would fit perfectly with this offense because maybe I just lacked that imagination. Well, it worked great. Good players are good players, and being vertical did not hinder AJ Brown whatsoever. And I think that's what it boosted this team even more than I was anticipating. Having, but like you said, 
The plan came together. They stuck the landing. Anyone can make these try and make these super teams and pick guys off the street, and make these trades, and then all just kind of never doesn't match together and doesn't really work. There's so much synergy with this team. And I think that's really what it is, especially when I watch the defense. Okay, we're going to beat a bunch of quarters, cover three, and this is just one example. Oh, let's get Bradbury, who's great in those schemes. You know, that makes a ton of sense. He's not living in man or living in cover two. Like, that's actually really good. That just matters. The guys they did pick made sense for what they want to run. This team, though, is it's unbelievable. Uh, there's so many good players, so many all-pro level players, but then just plus starters littered throughout the roster. Offense, defense, and at some of the hardest spots, DB, offensive line, like those spots are so hard to fill out and they got multiple good players. Awesome roster. And this is why they've blown teams out of the water, including last week. And they're the best team in the NFC all year. I was looking at the end of the season, like looking back and thinking, where was I wrong? Where did I spend too much energy or consternation? And we already got the Colts out of the way. So (laughs) for both of us. We spent so much time, I know I did at least, thinking about how the new receivers would fit in the places yep. where they went. You know, what would yep. A.J. Brown look like in the Eagles offense? What would Tyreek mm-hmm. Hill look like in the Dolphins offense? Just get the players and figure it out later. Figure it out. Figure <laughs> Just out. If you get talent. the good players, you'll figure it out later. Yes. And yes. I think that that's one of the takeaways I have from the way that the Eagles have built this thing. And the last thing I'll say about Philly is that Beyond turning over every rack, which we talked about with Barnwell yep. earlier this week, talking about the lessons we learned from the Final Four teams, the James Bradbury thing, trading for C.J. Gardner-Johnson, going out and yep. getting Hassan Reddick, uh, yep. all the moves that they made, all of the tinkering they consistently do. This season and what the last two years have looked like is a sign to me of just organizational health. Yeah. They are one game away from going to another Super Bowl five years mm-hmm. after their last one with a different head coach and yep. a different quarterback. Mm-hmm. That's remarkable. Which are, which are usually the uh, stabilizers of stabilizers. <laughs> That's really impressive. And it's incredible. It, it reminds That's me again point. of just the, the roster building that they've done on that side yep. and kind of what that infrastructure is. You know, Just think about all the guys within that front office that have gone on to other jobs recently. Mm-hmm. If they only won one Super Bowl, but Joe Douglas is – Gone to the Jets and I think done a pretty good job with that team. Andrew Barry is the GM of the Browns and mm-hmm. there's some moves of his that have been very good. And I think overall he's done a solid job there. Ian Cunningham is the Bears assistant GM. He was there. He's been interviewing for GM jobs other places. Catherine Raish, who was there, vice president of football operations for like two years, is now the assistant GM in Cleveland. Like there are consistently people are trying to get a piece of what this team is doing. And I think that even what has happened with Nick Sirianni, who was not their first choice, who was not a lot of people's first choice, that was the same thing that happened with Andy Reid 20 years ago, where they went out with kind of an unconventional option as their head coach, and that has paid dividends for them. He has done a fantastic job. So overall, I just think this is another win and another W in that column for the Eagles as an organization, even compared to what they did five years ago. And the thing for, that always stands out for me is how they built that 2017 team. And now is we talk about, I'll talk about the one thing uh, of team building is, you know, the draft and, and the draft is educated bets. You know, that's what it is. It's getting yourself in the best angle to find group this tier of players. Hopefully we, we hit a double. Hopefully we make contact. Sometimes we hit a home run, but pro scouting, the Eagles and pro scouting, I think are the best in the league. 
Uh, I think, you know, Belichick has been amazing at this for years, but the fact that they can find these guys that make sense for what they want to run on great deals or just, again, I always say the red paper clip, but just the, you say turning over every stone, but I think that's what matters. They built all these free agents are hitting and making sense and not breaking the bank. When you accumulate a lot of plus players, maybe not just a star, but look how many sacks this defense has. Yeah. Like, And that comes from just getting a bunch of plus players in different ways. Drafting, waiver wire ads, or, or you know, I should say off the street ads. And, you know, Reddick, who was like kind of, I would say, a big money addition. But, you know, you put a little, put a, they sprinkled it's, it. It's $15 it. million a year. It's a yeah, fine very reasonable deal contract. for an edge rusher. Very reasonable. But, but it's not a, a bank breaking, oh my God, this is wave the flag. Look, we won the offseason type deal. It was more just like, oh, that's a nice solid deal. And honestly, just want to speak to other teams, maybe just being in their own heads with some of these players like Bradbury or Reddick and going like, well, I don't know why Reddick, why, why, why he isn't like a guy that everyone's looking at. He's gotten sacks in two different places. Why isn't this guy like getting looked at because he's undersized a little bit? I don't know. But they understood, oh, these are good players. Let's so just accumulate a bunch of plus players. And look what happens. <laughs> it happens. That matters. Not everyone has to be a star, but having above average to good to very good. Oh, man. just what that, There's no real, real weakness. And there's depth. Now you're drafting and guys can grow into their roles or you can decide, ooh, that guy doesn't have it. Doesn't matter. We're not wasting 500 snaps on this guy that shouldn't be playing. It's only 100 snaps. Again, that's just organizational plan. That's just health. That's just the, uh, every way you can team build, they do it. Trading additions for free agency and drafting. They find ways to do it and find ways to maximize it. Now they've done it several times, and here we are. They're in the final four once again. I think you could have a similar conversation about the Niners and what yes. they have done in building this team. And yep. you and I have made this joke before. I mean, this is this is it. Like this is the culmination for Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. And if they do this and they get to the Super Bowl, look at what Kyle Shanahan has done. Over the last five or six years. Okay. Mm -hmm. 2016, he builds one of the most efficient offenses in the history of modern football in Atlanta. They are 28 to three away from winning that game. Yep. 2017 and 2018. 2017 is his first year. They were out with Brian Hoyer. It was a whatever year. 2018, they made the trade for Jimmy the middle of the year before. He gets hurt three games into the season. It's a disaster year. 2019, they go to the Super Bowl. They're very close to beating Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. They were a very, mm-hmm. very good football team. 2020, disaster year. Everyone gets hurt again. Last year, they're a Jaquaski Tart pick from potentially going to the Super Bowl, and now they're one game away again. I mean, yep. what he has done and built there on offense, obviously, he's the centerpiece of that entire offensive plan. This ideal, this, this kind of philosophical goal that they've chased of playing this quarterbackless version of NFL football that shouldn't be possible. Yeah. They're very close to realizing it. And that's yeah. I I'm, that's not like even a dig at Brock Purdy. It's no. what Jimmy Garoppolo accomplished in that offense. Like that's what they've tried to build is like a quarterback free model of offensive success in 2022 that shouldn't be doable and somehow they've managed and the yeah. defense has been great. So it's what they have built there and over the last five years. I mean, I think that really it's time to kind of take a step back, win or even lose this game, and appreciate what they have done and what they have put in place. That's that's absolutely it. It's the it is it's almost better. Like is if it was Trey Lance and they reached this point, we could say, Oh yeah, this is Shanahan's kind of master class, you know. Uh, but also it's almost better that's the third string rookie quarterback that just proves that point. Like you said, that quarterbackless team, quarterbackless offense that can still churn out yards and explosive plays. It's almost more speaks more 
to Shanahan and like this is his perfect idealized version. <laughs> it's, yes. that it's almost better. It reflects it better that it's a third string quarterback and that they've reached this point, like you were saying. But I think that's just so perfect. That's the way it's his Mona Lisa in a way. But this team is we knew we were excited about the defense and they haven't disappointed at all this year. And I think the offense, of course, is the Shanahan offense. You're always going to be intrigued. Once they drop that, when CMC in there, it's just been so brilliant to watch. And just watching this versatile offense with that finds ways to get guys on islands and win and create explosive plays out of thin air and doing it kind of different ways week to week. Been really a, such a fun team to watch the last couple months. Uh, and more, it's just more in different ways or different ways than usual with the Shanahan offense. Usually it's like, Ooh, look at that outside zone run. Ooh, they tossed it this time. Look at that outside zone run. Ooh, they tossed it and he cut back on that outside on that zone run. Oh, wow. Now it's just different stuff and the formations and the shifting and the, and the past game is so great on top of having what I think is the most fun defense I've watched in years. Uh, I think this four both of these teams are brilliant to watch in different ways. And I think that's what makes this game so exciting, but Credit to both of them in different ways, but they got to the same point. I think they also deserve credit for the defensive staff they built, the sustainability yep. of that defensive staff. You know, having your defensive coordinator hired away and getting better, right <laughs> on defense. I mean, he always happens, right? <laughs> Tamiko Ryan's his first job was on these Niner staffs. He worked with him in Houston and identifying young def- or young coaching talent and trying to fill the pipeline with those guys is a huge mm-hmm. part of being able to sustain success. On offense, he can do it seemingly by himself, but on right. defense, you need to be able to refill that cupboard when it starts getting plucked away, and they've been able yep. to do it. Next year will be an entirely different challenge if D'Amico yep. gets hired, but that pipeline that they've built of coaching talent and it keeps getting hired away and they keep sustaining success is incredible. And the sheer amount of elite players that they have Mm -hmm. talk about the Mm -hmm. Eagles where they have like kind of a minus level players at almost every single position. Yeah. The Niners have a plus like six, a pluses and then defensive player of the year candidates, like (laughs) an all pro safety. I think that's, what's so impressive (laughs) is that they have, I mean, the best left tackle in the league. They have the best edge rusher in the league. They have the best off-ball linebacker in the league. They have arguably the best running back in the league. And it's just incredible how much elite talent that they've gotten. And they've done it a bunch of different ways, right? Like going Mm -hmm. out and making the Trent Williams trade. Two third-round picks. I mean, that's you could have done that if you were another team. So, again, organizational health and stability and what they've shown over the last five years. There's a reason that these teams are consistently in these conversations. All right. Absolutely. Let's dig into the nitty gritty here. Number one thing you're looking at when the Niners have the football on Sunday. When the Niners have the football, oof, I, well, first off, be looking at how they attack the slot. I talked about this after the Cowboys game and after uh, I did a whole article on it, how the Cowboys got to empty in week, was that week 17? Yeah, week 17. God, it feels like five years ago that that game regular season might as well be when I, I lived in Minnesota might as well be 15 <laughs> years ago, uh, but I, that attacking the slot and is what I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm curious of how Shanahan gets to it uh, because I think passing the ball is they have to find a way to do it. The Eagles are pretty damn good stopping the run and they've run kind of a standard zone coverages. So you can manipulate that in a way. And it's always curious, just like we we're going to talk about a defensive coordinator later, Interesting to see what Shanahan's mystery box contains. And I think when, <laughs> with uh, why they doing, well, the Eagles are fantastic defending play action passes. Yes. And so that's why I'm going to tie in with the slot stuff. So 
they are uh, with uh, defending these play action passes are I think they're top or near the top in every single metric that we always talk about success rate, EPA, all that stuff. So why that matters is okay. Well, Purdy's probably gonna have to drop back a little bit, and attacking the slot is the way to do it against the Eagles' defense. But there's a guy coming back who might be playing. It seems like he's looking like he's playing in Avante Maddox, and this is the stat I just want to lay out um, to show what Maddox's impact will be in defending the slot with Maddox off the field when he's been hurt or just not playing. Other teams when they're throwing the ball to the slot, the Eagles are 27th in defensive success rate. So it's pretty remarkable. That's a weakness of one area. Throw it to the slot, boom, you're going to just make them a poor, poor defense. When Maddox has played this year and offenses have attacked the slot, they have a success rate of 60.9%. Okay, what does that mean? 69 total plays, 60%. Okay, what does that mean? That would be the best defense in the league defending slot players. All this matters because of how the 49ers like to get into their formations and how they like to use their personnel. If they are getting into 21 personnel like they do, their death lineup, they will manipulate the formation to put Ayuk or Debo Samuel into the slot or even CMC to attack those areas. So defending that area, defending the middle of the field, this is what the Shanahan offenses love to attack over and over and over. You watch the Dolphins do it. You watch this 49ers team do it. They love throwing over the middle of the field. They're going to find different ways to do it. So it is key to have Avante Maddox out there and healthy and playing because otherwise that is a huge, huge voided area for this 49ers offense to attack. So that is the number one thing I'm looking at because I think they will take away the play action. There's a smart defense. They're smart safeties. They have uh, just well coached. They run standard coverages, nothing truly exotic. So I think that's one way that this 49ers offense will look to attack them. The running game part of this and just the way that the Eagles match personnel is so interesting because it's similar to the conversation we had against the Cowboys last week where they didn't yeah. hadn't faced 21 personnel really at right. all this season. The Eagles have only faced 48 plays of 21 personnel all season this year. And a good chunk of those, I think almost Pony. half of them, are pony personnel plays with two running backs Correct. on the field. Exactly. So they've typically matched with base personnel against fullbacks the few times that they've seen them but we haven't seen them play against that many teams that do it so do the Niners coax out a different response and if they don't and they're in base personnel especially against the run what do some of those fronts look like I'm wondering if we see just you know typical head up three four fronts or we see some wonky stuff like other teams that play a similar style of defense have done against the Niners this year the game that I went back and watched was the Chargers game because mm-hmm. the head coach of the Chargers and the defensive coordinator of the Eagles, they have each other's phone numbers. Those, those guys have <laughs> known each other for a very long time. I think they share a lot of philosophical ideas in the way mm-hmm. the defense is called. And if you go back and watch that Charger game, they were doing weird shit up front. Two two-eye yeah. defensive tackles playing in different gaps, some six-one stuff. Do the Eagles try to do some wonky things with their front in order to shut some of those looks down? Or do we see them kind of play just traditional base defense against those 21 looks when the Niners are trying to run the ball? I think that's going to be really interesting to see play out. I'm too, especially, you know, now that the Eagles have Joseph and Sue and Jordan Davis healthy, healthy, excuse me, is that they will load, like you said, they'll load up the middle of the field, load up that the spine of the defense with heavy bodies. And a Shanahan run game is... This is kind of with the knock of a Shanahan run game for years and years. And it's hilarious that this is kind of the meta now is they're more finessey. 
They, 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 it's more, you know, smoke and mirrors. We win with angles as opposed to, as opposed to force, and which is, a, it's a way, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just their method of attacking. Um, but that's the thing. If you're going to be a predictable defense, I think there's sometimes, oh, if I see Sue, Joseph and Davis in the game, I know what front I'm getting. They're not going to do some wacky stuff, but that's why it's interesting that you bring it up. They might throw in some changeups, but if I'm predictable, if I'm going to run those guys, that personnel's in the game as a play caller. You have an assistant coach that tells you that. You have an assistant coach that tells you what the opposing team's personnel is, and you might have certain plays for that. Oh, those three are in the game? Well, I know it's – I'm just making something up here. I know it's man coverage, or I know it's this front, so we can run this play or this play against it that we know it's going to be a schematic advantage. The Cowboys did that against this uh, the Eagles defense, the same thing. Shanahan's one of the best at doing this and understanding the personnel. So – I think you see some of those more side-to-side runs to get these big bodies moving and if they do want to match with bigger bodies, if they do want to run a ball against that. The Eagles, though, when they are going, I, I looked at 21 and 12 personnel. I'm just trying to group it together, trying to get more sample size here. <laughs> but if they want to match with base defense, is they're not great defending the pass against that, like most defenses aren't. But they are they're middle of the pack. They're not poor. You know, It's not like the Jets or something like that. They're middle of the pack. But they're good at stopping the run still. So, again, but if they're good stopping play action, they're decent stopping the run out of that, but they're poor maybe against dropbacks or average against dropbacks in that, maybe Shanahan leans to that. And so now it becomes, hey, Purdy, let's see you. <laughs> let's see you drop back and five-step and let that ball loose because that is one. that's the best way or the cleanest avenue to attack this Eagles defense, I think. Super zone-heavy team, the Eagles are. Yeah. I mean, I think it was – I want to say it was like it's even 70% zone on man on third down this season that they're a zone heavy team. And yeah. we've seen, we've talked about this a lot. How do you kind of flood those zones and overload sides? Yes. So we've seen the Niners do a lot of that four strong stuff where they'll send mm-hmm. McCaffrey in kind of a shuffle motion and just flood one side of the field. I assume we see a decent amount of that. And you and I were talking about this earlier. Do we see a decent amount of empty from the Niners in order to break yes. things apart and get a clearer picture of what you're looking at if you do have to drop back traditionally a little bit more often? And I, I do think they do. They have it in their bag. It's not something they it's they're making up in a week, which which you can in the playoffs. So you're like, oh God, we need this this week, which like you're talking about what the Eagles defense might do. But I think that that would be the cleanest path, I think, for me, is get them in the big bodies and spread them out. And doing it with a if they want to stay in a balanced defensive front or a balanced defensive uh, back end is trips alignments, like you said, the four strong with the motion stuff. Um it's just simple reads. It makes it easier on uh, Brock Purdy as well. Um, especially, you know, they do a zone bubble kind of read where it's just it pretty just has to read one guy that, that that's nice. They make some easy buckets against a defense that kind of can make it tough on you. But I do think the, the empty and putting the, it's kind of funny. It's actually what the Cowboys try to do against the 49ers defense last week, big bodies, spread it out, put CD lamb in the slot, but instead it's Debo or Ayuk or even CMC in the middle and get them matched up with some of the Eagles linebackers. Cause if you did have to pick one area to attack it'd be those linebackers the difference between what this offense has looked like with brock purdy and what they've looked like with jimmy garoppolo i thought this stat was really telling according to next gen stats brock purdy has left the tackle box on 19.3 percent of his dropbacks this season oh my god jimmy garoppolo was at 8.6 percent what they've been able to do with him off schedule has been really important the eagles pass rush though shuts stuff down so is yeah. he going to have time to create latent downs to move around the pocket, especially on third down. I thought this was shocking. Okay. On third down this season, the Eagles have an 18.9% sack rate. 
18.9. That's yes. what's Justin Fields at this year? 14% or yeah. something like that. So it turns everyone worse into just than worse than Justin Fields. It's 18.9. The league average on third down is 10.3%. Okay. The gap between the Eagles and the Chargers, who are second, is the gap okay. is bigger than the gap between the Chargers and the Panthers, who are 14th. Wow. If you get to third down, they heat you up in a big, big way. So yeah. if they can do that and you're making Purdy drop back in those situations, that's where you have to deal with this Eagles pass rush and ask the Giants about that. I know I that just say. I know that the Niners' offensive line is better, but if you have Hassan Reddick going against Mike McGlinchey and you feed Josh Sweat to Trent Williams the entire game, what does that look like if you're in a decent amount of third and mediums, third and longs, and you're the Niners? Yeah. Especially he knows he knows he's going to tee off on it. Oh man, it's third and twelve, and that that's why the run game is going to be so so important because they got to make it third and manageable. All of Purdy's bat worst games have been when his the average distance on third down is the longest. Every single one. It's like it's like one, two, three. <laughs> his three bad games or or three lesser games are when he had the longest to go on third down because he has to sit back and drop back. They don't get to their funky stuff that they like to do. You watch that watch them against the Cowboys last week. That Cowboys got a lot of team speed on defense. And sure enough, when Purdy tried to go into creation mode, that shit went nowhere. It really did. And that that's the variable that Purdy brings into it, good and bad. Is he's going to put the ball in harm's way, but he's also going to try and create a little bit. But the Eagles have a very sound and very enough team speed to kind of compensate for that. All right. Number one thing you're looking for when the Eagles have the ball. Oh, my goodness. A couple things. Well, you said one. So I'm trying to rank them in my brain here. I mean, we'll inevitably talk about five, but start with one. I know. I know, but it's like people tune me out. So I, I really got to start strong. Otherwise, people just go, oh, God, Nate's bringing up another success rate stat. So I'm going to go with attacking outside. And if there's one thing the Niners do better than everyone, anyone, I mean, they're great defending the run. They're great defending the pass. They, they, they are. They're run or pass. They are very, very good. They are very smart, very fast. Awesome defense, guys. It, it, the 49ers defense is tremendous to watch, but... Fred Warner attack or takes away the middle of the field. Asked what happened with the Cowboys last week. Once CD those all the CD plays over the middle, they ran out of them. They're like, shit, we have to throw outside. Look what happened one day to target Gallup and everything, <laughs> and those guys on the outside. But this 49ers defense is way worse defending outside throws by design a little bit. What they run and they prefer that way, but also go balls, vertical routes on the outside is a weakness of this 49ers defense. If you got to Against really good units, guys, you got to poke and prod and figure out the find these small sample size that might you can extrapolate a little bit. And so the 49ers this year on go balls to receivers on, on the outside, um, they're tied fourth in explosive plays given up. They are 28th in success rate on those types of throws. They're tied with the Titans. And not really who you want to talk about with the corner play. Tied with the Titans for most first downs given up on those type of throws. So that is one way to attack this Niners defense. It's 50-50 throws, but the Eagles offense has these guys named A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. And that's where you want – that's, I think, where you want to attack. Uh, Hertz has gotten better attacking over the middle of the field. I mentioned that. Uh, that's one area he's improved. He's actually thrown – he can throw the crap off some overballs when he's really in rhythm and, and anticipate those throws. But – you're going against the best defense at taking those away. So I think if you're going to, okay, let's not bang our heads against the wall. We're not great throwing them over the middle and they're awesome taking away. Okay, let's attack on the outside. So I, I think that's going to be one way for this Eagles team to get chunk plays at least early on, even if they are quote unquote 50-50 throws. 
I just keep coming back to that fake over return route that Goddard ran last week. And can oh, you hit some of those where they're just little counters against a team counters. that is so hell-bent on not letting you hit those? And yep. the Rams used to do that a little bit against the Niners when they would play. You'd have yeah. those, the big Cooper Cup over, and he'd take Cup it back sits. outside because yeah. that's what they want to take away. So yeah. what are the counter punches in the, in, in, the, in the passing game? And I just, again, we've seen this team out of against heavy personnel. You can find some play-action shots down the field. You can find some late leaking stuff from a tight end, just stuff that really takes advantage of how aggressive they are. Yes. The running game, if you're the Eagles, what is the structure of the running game you want to trot out there? Where do you think you could take advantage of the Niners? I have zero feel for this whatsoever. Like what their <laughs> running game plan will look like against this team. I'm wondering what you think about it. So it's it's a pick your poison. That's what this de- offense has been this whole year. I think the one run that you can really get after this Niners defense, and even the Cowboys did it a couple times, is GT counter, which is a counter play where you see the guard and tackle pull. And the, the, the Eagles, their version of it is they have Hertz as he reads the play. He reads it, whether the guy crashes and whatnot. And it's a give or, give or take. They're awesome at this play. They've run it the last couple of years with Hertz. They're fantastic. I think they got a great offensive line. Um, I think that's the one run play. If the 49ers want to sit in two high shells, I think the Eagles will bash them with duo. Duo is right at you run. They're really, the Eagles can run every run. That's what Jeff Stoutland's one of the best offensive line coaches. They have a great offensive line. They're very adaptable to what you want to do. So if you do, if they want to sit in lighter boxes, I think that's one way that they'll run it. It's just at you. <laughs> like they have, Niners got some speed up front and they're going to twist and do all the stuff with their hair, you know, their ears pinned back. So if they want to just, you know, play bully ball against them, hey, you want to finesse? Do you want to try and be speed us with speed? We'll beat you with power um, without pulling a guard. I think pulling a guard would be a little, little dicey against this team, but I think those are the runs that they might lean into. I'm curious what the plan for Bosa is going to be. Do they leave him unblocked on some of these plays? Do we mm-hmm. see some of that slide action to play yeah. with his eyes? I mean, the game I always come back to with a team that took really big-time advantage of the Niners' defense is what the Chiefs did to them. And yes. just all of the different actions you're throwing at him and just getting his head to be spinning by the end of the game. I think there are times where, again, you can use his aggressiveness against him. If you're flashing stuff at him the entire game, I think that we've seen teams have some success doing that. No, absolutely. That that messing with him, sometimes the best player, you just leave him unblocked. Uh, the Cowboys had some success with this last week against Fred Warner is they went uh, one by three formations. So that's a tight end is a lone guy on one side and three receivers on the other side is they were doing run plays with just little simple flats to CD lamb. And they had three for three on those. And that why that worked was Fred Warner got put in a bind. Fred Warner, super aggressive. He's unblocked on the play, and the cowboy or the uh, offensive, the quarterback. Not the, I was going to say the offensive thrower. This is where my brain's <laughs> at right now. The quarterback's read on that is just read him. Can he make a play on the run? Yes. Okay, throw the flat. Can he make a play on the flat? Yes. Okay, I'm going to hand the ball off, and that's all Dak did. And that's pretty simple for Hertz. And the Eagles have that in their bag. They love one by three formations. They love having Dallas Goddard running out routes you know, uh, as the lone nub uh, tight end on that side. And that's the thing, though, too, is that foreigners are really good at defending tight ends. So that's another thing that they're good at. They're good at so much. They're great defending tight end screens, which is another thing, another aspect of this Eagles offense, why they another easy button that they'll push. Um, the other thing, too, is uh, I'm curious, is the Eagles have an advantage out of 12 personnel. Uh, they like to run it. They are the best team in the NFL out of 12 personnel. Their EPA per dropback out of 12 is 0.42. Mahomes, that's 
way above Mahomes this year. Mahomes is 0.28. 0.42 is ridiculous. Um, they're third rushing the ball out of 12. And that's when last week, it's kind of a broken record. We talked about it against the Cowboys. We thought that was the way the Cowboys attacked this 49ers defense is the 49ers are a little lesser defending the run out of base personnel and they match it. So, and that also creates one-on-ones on the outside for the receivers. Yeah. So just a little trickle down, trickle down effect there. So I think that is one aspect I think that the Eagles might lean into is maybe going heavier in a way, in a way to make it easier on the whole offense. When the Eagles are in 12 personnel, you have Devonte Smith, AJ Brown and Dallas Goddard all on the field. When the Cowboys yeah. are in 12 personnel, it's much more smoke and mirrors than it is like pure. No, Brown's not scared yet. You, not, not, not Michael Gallup's not scared. Not, Michael not, Gallup's not, not scared. Not, not quite as scared of those two guys. All right, <laughs> T.Y. Hilton off the streets. Well, and the other thing too is this Eagles offense. This Eagles run game is ridiculous. It's the fifth highest success rate since 2002. Like this Eagles run game, but it's a really, really good run game. The Niners are good defending the run. Um, can I talk about the blitz too, real quick? That yeah. I just I have one last stat. I, I do I have one stat or two stats. One stat. Sorry, sorry everybody, but uh, they are no. I do have two stats. Sorry guys, but uh, 49ers bringing the blitz. That's why I've really, really liked D'Amico Ryan's, and uh, not only just how smart this team plays and fast is their blitz packages. There's been enough discourse about one freaking third down one with Dak throwing with Fred Warner dropping from the line of scrimmage. Like there's been plenty of discourse on that, but they, they love to mix up their looks, even if it's not crazy, but they, they do it because they're so fast. To understand the Eagles, their count uh, Jalen hurts. Hasn't been great against the blitz this year. The Eagles running backs aren't great in protection. Um, their line is good, but you know, they don't get a lot of help from the quarterback or the running back. One of their counters this year has been receiver screens. They're third in the league against uh, throwing receiver screens. They're okay at them, but <laughs> the Niners, again, are really freaking good at covering receiver screens. They're good a lot. So it's like that's another thing that I think they take away and make it harder. That's why I keep leaning on that. I think it's going to be go balls. Um, and also the other thing is Jalen Hurts breaking out of contain. The This is the last stat, I promise, on the side, is the uh, Niners. One weakness they have on their defense is – Quarterbacks holding on the ball for three seconds and breaking out of the pocket, just like you brought up that Purdy stat, 19 point something percent. Hertz does this quite often. He'll leak. Lane Johnson gives him nice lanes for him to break contain, break to the right. The Niners have given up the most explosive plays on extended pass plays. So anytime the Eagles or the quarterback has held the ball three seconds or longer, the Niners have given up the most explosive plays. They're such an aggressive, sound defense. Their eyes count one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. Then they're like, we're done, right? That's why they've given up some of those plays, but Hertz leans into that. So that might be a way that they get those chunks as those extended plays, those ad-lib plays from Jalen Hurts. It was nice to see him run the ball a bunch last week and made me feel a yeah. little bit better about how that shoulder might be feeling. I mean, he's yeah. been open about the fact that he's not 100%, but as he's long as it's up, not yeah. preventing them from doing much on offense, it's less of a concern to me. The one yeah. interesting part just about this matchup specifically, it's the opposite of a team they played last week. Just on a general yes. level. <laughs> the, I, and it's We talk about this with Luana Rumo where yeah. I'm always curious what his plan is for a given offense. It yep. tells me about the offense. What the Eagles do to attack a specific defense I think tells yes. you about the defense. And so yep. last week they have a game plan that's specifically tailored to just light the Giants linebackers on fire. Yeah. Like they have two yeah. guys that – 
have bounced around NFL rosters. Like it, I, yeah. it's, it, it was the, not a real 30 NFL sec- linebacker. 30 second a rush DVOA. They, yes. <laughs> it was not a great run unit. <laughs> the Niners are whatever the opposite of that is yes. at their, at the second level of their defense. So what yes. do you attack? And I think, like you said, go balls outside the numbers, pushing the ball that way might make a lot of sense. All right. Yes. Who's your X factor in this game? I, I'm going back to my first stat that I even brought up, Avante Maddox, and him playing and him being on the field helps out. If he's on the field, that you start taking away answers from that 49ers offense, and that I think that's matter that matters. I think the Eagles' def- Eagles offense versus the 49ers defense is going to be just a slugfest, big plays on both sides. I think the other side of the ball is going to be key. I, I think Purdy's going to have to drop back, and when he does, taking away one of his best options, which is attacking the slot and or slot receivers. That, that might make it a little harder on this 49 make it more, a little more one-dimensional, even more than they are right now. So I think Avante Maddox and him playing is going to be huge, huge, huge for that Eagles defense. That's littered with so many good players. I'm going with the linebackers, the, the, the Eagles linebackers. If, if they're going to yeah. try to just pick on the middle of the field, what yep. do we see from those two guys against the run it, when they're trying to move them in the pass Great game? Call. What does that look like? Because yep. that's the exact area that the Niners want to go after in every facet of their offense. So how do you respond? All right. Yep. What do you think happens? I'm going with the Eagles. I I originally, originally was going to say Niners, but I'm going to go with the Eagles. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. I'll even do the score prediction. Uh, I'll go 2017 Eagles. What's ultimately decide- the deciding factor for you? Purdy. And that's, that's it. I think there's so many good players out there and it's, if Purdy makes just a couple throws and avoids any turnovers, the Niners are way in this game. I'm, and also I just want to see how D'Amico Ryan's plays this Eagles offense. Like I, that's a great point you brought up that, that about how they expose the weakness of the opposing team. Just think of the Packers game and then the Titans game back to back running for all those yards against a porous Packers run defense and then torching the Titans corners. So, so that's, that's that brings mind. me to my answer. That is why I'm picking the Eagles. Okay. I just yes. think they have they've shown an answer to pretty much every problem that a defense has presented to them. And they have one of the best defenses in the NFL. Like right. it just it's not just that they have this offense that can kind of yeah. find a path every single time. Right. It's that on defense, they're still top to bottom an incredible team. It's a I just complete team. The other <laughs> X factor I would keep coming back to is just what does Hassan Reddick do? Like yeah. is like can he take over the game again in the way that he did early against the Giants and then combined with just having a path forward all the time on offense when they're 100% healthy. So I I think it's going to be close just like you said. I just think it yeah. I have to pick the Eagles based on what we've seen from their offense all year. I think that's where I'm at too. I think they'll find the answers, they'll make enough plays, they'll that's hold it. On. also they'll control the ball. I think they have a they have better answers to hold on, have a better time of possession and I think that's good. Again, I know that's a stat that people laugh at and everything, but I think that's good in this game. I, I think it's whoever kind of just can make positive plays throughout the game. Positive. I know that sounds like a no shit analysis right here, but I'm saying it's just avoiding those true backbreaking turnovers in a tight game like this and just churning first downs. First downs are going to be so huge in this game because it's two good, two good defenses that make it hard on you. Last thing to mention, CMC and Elijah Mitchell both banged up, mispracticed yes. Wednesday and Thursday. If the Niners run game doesn't have that pop, that they need against this Eagles team that has been fantastic defending the pass all year. What does that mean for the game? I think, I think you have to mention that before we move on, but Absolutely. man, what, a, what an awesome game. I mean, it's just it an absolutely it really fantastic is. game. It's, 
because there's styles. This is a yeah. styles makes makes fight type of game. That, yeah. that all four units have, are very distinct, and that's what makes it really cool. Uh, sorry, special teams. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. And uh, what 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 is it in the for the Bears? The fourth the fourth phase. <laughs> the fourth phase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's another one. But yeah, sorry, special teams. But I really do think it's it. That's what makes this game so intriguing, so awesome. A lot of good coaches, a lot of good players. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, speaking of great games, let's get to the AFC Championship game. Bengals at oh. Chiefs Sunday evening. Line is flip-flop like 20 times. The, the oh answer to what is the line is, it's very small. That, 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 that's, <laughs> yes. that's what the line is in we'll this game. Let's just call it a coin flip. Let's we'll just call it a coin flip. <laughs> Obviously, it's a rematch of last year's AFC Championship game, but just think about how different it yeah. feels this time around. You know, the Bengals... Their defense was playing really well in last year's playoffs, and I thought that the game plans they trotted out in last year's playoffs were really good even before getting into the AFC Championship. And but it still felt like, oh man, they're just they're squeezing everything they can yeah. out of this team based on some of their holes up front, just how big play dependent their offense was. Now you have this Bengals team that we talked about this just feels every bit like a contender based on how many different ways that they can beat you on offense and on defense. Mm. This defense last year was really solid, really smart. Mm -hmm. They've been a top seven unit this year when they were like a top 15 unit last year. They've gotten better. Every Mm -hmm. single argument that Bengals fans had about why this team would be better this season has come to fruition. The argument on defense was – continuity will carry us will be better because all of the pieces have played together they're familiar with each other think about just how many different things they can do one of my favorite parts about watching this week 13 game over again was watching the Bengals secondary communicate there are a couple different plays that, that really jump out to me there was one where kelsey motions down into a stack and they were playing man coverage but they didn't switch in order not to give them a tell. They were just like, we don't have to worry about this. Like, just yeah. you get you get him when he goes, we're totally fine. There was another play where the Chiefs motioned. It was like a jet motion into that post-wheel play action that yeah. we've seen yeah. a million times this season. And so Von Bell bumps out all the way outside against the motion, but they play cover six behind it. So they played quarters to that side with Von Bell as the cornerback, and they were just like, we got this, and they just passed it off beautifully, and it just looked like a Mahomes almost threw an interception. It was like a yep. perfect snap of cover because six with that, the corner. That pops a QB's brain. That Doing shit like that pops your brain because you have to assume so much. And just watching yeah. them do that, 
every argument about why, well, it's a veteran group and they'll get better with more time yep. together. It's like, God, that's dicey, man. That's not always know, how defense right? works. And that's exactly how it happened. And then on offense, it was, all right, if teams are going to put a roof over them and they're going to make them play a certain way that they couldn't play last year, what does it look like? And the argument was, this is a young team. Joe Burrow is yeah. a really good player. You don't think Joe Burrow is going to fucking figure this out? Part of me was like, I don't know. We'll see uh, what yeah, happens. I don't know. We got to see it. And guess what? They did. And so <laughs> every single out. argument for why this team would run yeah. up against the ceiling, which I think were legitimate arguments, and we talked yeah. about a lot of them, yeah. they've smashed right oh, yeah. through those ceilings on both sides of the ball, and it has been very impressive to watch. It, it's it's kind of funny. It's the defense dictates games. You can feel the defense dictate what the offense can do, which is totally. the Bengals' defense. They they control the games. They hold the pen last. We always talk about that. They dictate what you're doing. Watch what they just did to the Bills. It was it's remarkable what they did. They basically just didn't let them play football. <laughs> they they say yeah, we're 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 not letting you do anything you want to do, and good luck. It's crazy to me that he didn't get a single interview for a head coaching uh, job. It's remarkable. It's really, really surprising to me that no one at least wanted to hear what he would have to say as part of that conversation. Just some aspect. Hey, what do you look at for players? What do you look at when you're signing vets? I don't want to do it just so I could steal for like a three-hour conversation about what he told me. I know it's it's remarkable. I mean, honestly, yeah. I've I've never met the guy. I've never talked to him. I, I I would go to bat for him just from what he throws out there every week. It's just an understanding of football and understanding of players. That they're one of the best coaches in the league, any either side of the ball. You know, I'll include special teams again here of understanding what his players are good at and getting them in the right spots. And it's just remarkable that. Not even one interview, even a token interview, just to be like, "Hey, what, what's going on? What, what you got over there? What, what you work? What do you look at for de- defenders and stuff like that?" It's just remarkable. I, I have met him and I have talked to him, and I'm still very <laughs> surprised that he has not gotten those opportunities. Anyway, continue with what you were saying. I don't even know what I was saying. Now I'm all fouled up, riled <laughs> up about this. They dictate the game. The defense, yes, yeah, defense dictates the games, but then the offense. I felt like the last year the offense was every defense that played against them was. Can you withstand the the go balls and the explosive plays? And if you can, it makes it hard on them. Now it feels like to me it's just this offense is always probing and always like they might not dictate the games, but they're finding answers. If that yes. if this makes sense to people, it's the defense is making the off, other offenses question everything, and the Bengals' offense is already has the answers to the questions that they're facing. And just feels like that feels like they've adjusted throughout games. Um, I think in the second half of last week. You know, even like the Bills started kind of finding some stuff on their with their defense and slowing them down. They find different answers. They find different run plays to run. And this is just uh, uh, the the macro view of this team. Like we bring it up, week five, it's gonna be burning my brain for the next decade. Who knows? I'll, I'll probably forget in three months. But uh, that week five change and that Ravens game change that the Bengals had, and finding the answers that. But then in the micro of how they adjust throughout the games and what they lean into throughout the games. Just speaks to how well coached this team is on both sides of the ball, on top of having fantastic players. Offensively, they have a bunch of A, A plus players, and then especially skill guys. And then defensively, it's more of those B, B pluses, but they're all unlocked and everybody's playing fast and playing smart. And it's one of the, honestly, the team of these final fours, like I always find, I always trust them to find an answer. Like, you know, of these final four teams, actually a lot of them, a lot of these teams, really three of these teams, it's like I, they could find an answer, but this Bengals team has earned the reputation that they're going to find the best way to attack the opposing team on both sides of the ball. 
It's amazing with that shift. It is mostly a shotgun offense did for them. That's all because it, it, they're less predictable on offense. And that's think about it. how much of their running game under center was just outside zone, outside zone, zone inside zone, zone, zone run, zone run, zone run. Yep. And shifting to that shotgun heavy look where it's less predictable about what they're going to do, but just all of the runs that they can get to out of it, all right. the different things that they can do, everything is on the table to them now. And that's why, all right, you present them with one thing that they have to work through. They have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven ways that they can try to work through it where last year they had maybe one or two. And I think that's structurally within the offense. That's, yes. But now it's all, the, I, it is really, really important to acknowledge how different of a player Joe Burrow is now right. compared to where he was a year ago. Teams wanted him to sit there and hold the ball and be impatient, even Bounce early this around. season, the first four yes. months of it, the first month of this season. Yep. I think that his willingness to say, all right, if this to is what you're going to do to me, then I'll <laughs> yes. be boring. Then I'm yep. willing to take the check downs and I'm willing to play this way. And if that's what I need to do, then, then that's fine. And his willingness to accept that has changed the way that you can play against this team and change what they can accomplish offensively. And it's yes. pretty, it's pretty impressive, man. It's pretty, it's pretty impressive, impressive on both sides of the ball. And not only just a shotgun run game and shotgun run game will be a theme on both sides of um, <laughs> both teams here, but the shotgun run game for them is they do it without using, I mean, Burrow has run more designed runs this year, but it's not like they're using him as like a zone read guy. Yeah. That's or, a great I mentioned the other point. Play, G, GT counter. They're having this efficient run game with just a true shotgun run game, yep. which is hard. Yeah. That's really hard to do, but they, they take what the defense gives them. And I'll, I'll just one spoiler is like the last time they played the chiefs in week 13, they just ran duo over and over and over because duo out of the gun, really duo in general is fantastic against a too high shell. You have a light box. We got double teams with two guys climbing to the two linebackers in the box. And it's a guaranteed five yards. It might not go for 50, but it's a guaranteed five to six yards. And if you're going to be boring as a pass game and check it down, well, if it's second and five and I check it down, that's a first down. If it's second and 10, I check it down, then it's third and six. You know, But now you're moving the chains on four or five yard gains. That's why this efficiently efficiency laden offense works. It complements each other by being boring, <laughs> but it works that, that being bored. They ate their vegetables. They have a nine to five job. They have a great 401k. Now they, it, it's working out for them. And that's why they're here. And the, on the flip side of this, we're at Arrowhead again. Yes. And it's easy to fall into thinking that, well, the chiefs are supposed to be here. You know, they're always right, supposed to right. be one of the best teams. The chiefs had the same over under win total as essentially the rest of their division this year. They had the third best Super Bowl odds heading into the year. The Chiefs were not the Super Bowl favorite. The Chiefs weren't supposed nope. to be the team that walked through the AFC again in the way that they did. And it's a testament to how much faith you can put in the Andy Reid-Patrick Mahomes partnership by yes. saying in what should be the middle of a championship window, we're going to trade Tyreek Hill and hit a mini reset. It's totally reasonable to think that after doing that, you would take a small step back. Yes. That maybe, yeah, you know, we'll be a 10 and 7 team and there'll be some hiccups because our defense is young and we're going to have to right. work through what this version of the offense is. And instead, they have the most efficient offense in football and they have another game, another year where they're hosting the AFC Championship game because they were the number one seed in the AFC. It, it's, yeah. I mean, the offense just being. Not even missing a beat, like at all. <laughs> just churning up first downs, explosive plays, the run game gets better, and it's just but well, that's it is 
This I, I thought this team, and I was optimistic about them, but I thought, like you said, that it, it may, there'd be some hiccups. And I thought in the second half of the year, it would be like, this is the narrative I had in my brain anyways. <laughs> that in the second half of the year, all of a sudden, it's like, wow, look at the cheat. Oh, Patrick Mahomes, he's figured it out. And like, yep. and like you said, all those young guys, they really figured it out. They just, they storm. I mean, blasted the Cardinals in week one. I, I, I They had like 30-something first downs. It was, it was comical what they did. And the defense found their way, but they were better off. They were better at the beginning of the year than they usually are in the last two years under Spags, uh, Steve Spagnola, and especially with the younger guys, but especially in the second half of the year, they've really, really improved. I mean, I think they're going into, since their bye week, they're like fourth in success rate on defense and 12th in EPA per play. Like they've really improved that defense, but it's just funny how more things change, more stay the same. And you remember that Patrick Mahomes is really good and Andy Reid's really good. And the Chiefs offensive line is pretty damn good too. And those are really good. Sta- We're talking about stabilizing forces. Those are really, really good stabilizing forces. All right. Number one thing you're looking for when the Bengals have the ball in this game. Ooh, the Bengals have the ball. I didn't know which one you'd start with. I am, <laughs> I am looking at, well, I want to see how this Chiefs team tackle. Chiefs tackle the Bengals because I think one of the things that the we talk about checking it down and bang and Joe Burrow being boring is the chiefs are very bad against checkdowns. Uh, they are uh, throws out to running backs and tight ends out of the backfield. So anyone wants to peek behind the curtain, this is how I filter it, but it's checkdowns is they've allowed the third most in the league this year, but they're 27th in success rate. And they've given out the second most explosive passes on these throws. So a check down leaving to an explosive play, not not really what you want. <laughs> and sure enough, in week 13, the Bengals had six checkdowns and four of them were successful plays for the Bengals and three of them went for first downs. Um, why it happens is the Chiefs linebackers, Bolton and uh, Nick Bolton and Willie Gay, will drop into coverage if they see the running back staying in the backfield and they just kind of leave them and they say, we're going to rally and tackle to him. Burrow punished him for it a couple times in their first matchup. I think that matters, uh, taking away those, but willing to give up some breathing room down the field, which is always scary against this team, but you can't give up those cheapy first downs. They, you're supposed to make it hard. Make it a, If it's a four-yard gain, make it a four-yard gain as opposed to a 12-yard gain or an eight-yard gain. I think those hidden yards is going to be huge in this game and making the Bengals earn everything as opposed to getting any cheapies whatsoever because – they're going to be hunting for those explosive plays, even if they don't always get them, but making it hard for them when they're trying to be efficient, that's that's how you take them out of their wheelhouse. This was a pretty extreme game plan for the Chiefs. Not in a – sometimes when you think extreme game plan for the Chiefs, it's yeah. like, oh, they ran 20 snaps at cover zero and they're doing all these yeah. crazy shit. <laughs> yeah. It was an extreme game plan in the other way. So the Chiefs, last time they two teams played in week 13, ran quarters on 27.3% of their dropbacks. Yeah. That matched the highest percentage that the Bengals have faced all year. Because remember, the Bengals are facing a ton of soft zone, but it was a lot of yes. cover two, especially Jeez. early in the season. So 27.3 matched the highest percentage the Bengals had faced in a game this season. The Jets also ran quarters on 27.3% of their dropbacks. But that's what the Jets do. For the Chiefs, yes. that percentage was twice their season average. So the Chiefs had a very specific way that they wanted to attack the Bengals mm-hmm. offense in this first matchup. Again, the Bengals were happy to play that way. It's yes. like, all right, if you want to do this, that's fine. So Burrow finishes 25 of 31 in the game. <laughs> it was 0.48 EPA per dropback, which uh, that's similar to the stat that you gave about the Eagles in their 21 per, or their 12 personnel passing yeah. game. So it's yeah. ridiculous. I mean, that is a very, very efficient game. Also did a decent amount of damage running the ball. 
So the other number combined with the amount of quarters that they played on third down in that game, the Chiefs did not blitz. Not one time did they blitz in this entire game. On third down, Joe Burrow had nine pass attempts. He was seven of nine with seven first downs. So we have that example of how well the Bengals offense played in that game. And one of those was the drop touchdown too. The, it's a Tyler the, Boyd. It's a, it's That's a right. really should have been eight and nine. That's right. <laughs> it should have been even worse. So if that blueprint did not work, how far does this plan go in the opposite direction? Right. And I think Burrow has some lingering reputation for what he did against the Blitz last year for how teams have handled him. Joe Burrow had the lowest blitz rate of any full-time quarterback in the NFL this season. He was blitzed on 15.6% of his dropbacks. It's about 10 percentage points less than the league average. That's significant. Yes. And (laughs) he was very good against the blitz, like solid. He was actually better in terms of EPA per dropback this season when not blitzed than he was when he was blitzed. So if we're talking about how comfortable they've gotten living in this world – and how much damage he did last game when you're sitting back there and letting him pick you apart. Do the Chiefs say, fuck it. We're not right. dying. We're not going down that way this time. And are they a little bit more aggressive on that side? And do you make him try to get back into that high variance game of pushing the ball down the field and taking some of those one-on-ones because you're bringing a little bit of extra heat at him? I'm very curious if they go that direction. And I think that that's, it's such a good point because you're, you're betting. It's like, okay, do we die? from a thousand jabs and just bloody our nose and hopefully we our offense is counter punching and okay fine that's fine okay but make them work for it and hopefully we can hold them to a field goal or like you said gash or be gashed which is usually how spags likes to live i i think some of those uh those third and 27 conversions last year <laughs> are were burned into their brain when they played them again this year um another thing was uh was burrow's success rate against the blitz dropped seven percentage points like he he really it's it's really just not even just having big plays. It's just successful plays, which matters. And I think that's a it's a great, great point. Burrow targets his running backs more than ever now. And why blitzing, why that matters with blitzing is running backs are part of the protection. Yeah. Uh, P. Ryan is fantastic in protection. I've complimented the Bengals protection plan, their offensive line coach, for how their game plans are and how their eyes are. They have really good eyes against the blitz. But if you hold the running back, in protection, even if there's just occupy him, doesn't have to win. That takes away the check down. And if you look at the spray chart, I wrote an article this week uh, previewing this game. If you look at the target chart for Joe Burrow, normally against non blitz, it's just a lot over the middle. You see all these red dots, completed balls, five to five to seven yards over the middle. And then against the blitz, all of a sudden those go away. And it's all these blue dots up and down the sideline because he likes to attack it by throwing vertical and throwing go balls and throwing back shoulders. That's how he likes to. It's. I'm not a bad answer, but it could be. It's high variance. And there's a specific play from the Week 13 game. They bring. I think it was a slot pressure off his left side. Sees it. Says, "All right, I got Jamar one on one on the outside." Throws him a back shoulder ball. They get an OPI on it. It's immediately. There's already an example from this season where when you bring yes. pressure, this is their answer. If A, then B. So do you want to force them into B more often? Right. And it makes it almost predictable in a way. And that's sometimes if, okay, if your hot answer is not crossers or slants and it's just throwing vertical routes, you look what happened to Russell Wilson. Like you blitz Russell Wilson, you play man. I'm not saying Burrow and Russell or anything like that, but you can make them predictable. And just he still has more answers over the middle of the field in those situations than Russ does. Way way more, way more. But just you're just taking 
that's what the playoffs is, 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 are, is, are, whatever. You're taking away teams' strengths or making it, making it hard on them so they can't lean on the crutches that they've leaned on the whole year or answers that they've had the entire year. So if you take away the running back, checking down, he, he's, like I said, he's, uh, targets his running backs 22% of the time. Last year it was 17%. It, it's a crazy amount how many times he targets the running backs. You take that away. Okay, it's going to be explosive plays or three and outs. Like that's what they're betting on. I think that really matters, and I don't think it'll be simulated pressures. It'll be actual actual blitzes. The Bengals' offensive line is good at prote- uh, picking those up, and I know we want to talk about this. Is that play that you brought up? I know exactly the one you're talking about. Is on that look, the Chiefs showed a uh, a five down look with Willie Gay as one of the edge or outside linebackers or edge players, I should say, on the line of scrimmage, and that was to guarantee Chris Jones a one on one. And then they brought they brought Bolton on the blitz, and I think they dropped Carl Office or somebody out into coverage, somebody. But that was a, a it was a changeup. It was a changeup to get one on ones, bring a blitz, a funky look, and, and really what it puts the running back in a bind there, even if they are smart about it. So I think that is one way to go about it: is gash or be gash, and hope for the variance, the the coin flips to keep coming up tails for the Bengals. I don't think you have to do these big blitzes. I don't think nope. they have to be these crazy six man pressures. Nope. How do you use five-man pressures to create one-on-ones for your best player? Yes. You go back and you watch that week 13 game. It was the Aaron Donald game plan for how they dealt with Chris Jones. And it has became, become the Chris Jones That's game what, plan. That's for everybody. My, my first, the, way, the reason I say that is I, I believe it was when they were playing the Niners one week where somebody on the Niners staff or somebody when being interviewed said, four hands on him every play. Every yep. play he has to have four That's hands on him. And you watch that week 13 game against the Chiefs. Every play, they were sliding the center his direction. Every single time they threw the ball, Ted Karras was aware of where 95 was, and he was working to get hands on him with whoever was the guard to that side. Okay, How do you occupy the center to not allow that to happen? Do you do some 5-0 looks with the with linebacker? Do you do mm-hmm. some overload fronts where your other defensive tackle is bumped over that direction? Chris Jones is in a wide three, and you're saying, we're going three on this side. Linebackers walk up into the other A-gap, which we yep. see the Niners do all the time. Do you try to do some of that stuff to say, we need to make sure we're creating one-on-ones for this guy against a backup guard? Because if we give him those one-on-one opportunities, he can take over the game. And, and I right, truly think that he can, but you got to put him in those situations. It's such a good point, though. And Burrow mitigates a lot by getting rid of the ball so quickly. But if it's pressure and there's no check down now, okay, yes, you're holding that ball the extra second. And why that, the, the speaking to that half slide point, it's such a great point, especially in that game. Is again, they had a great game plan for them. They understand the weaknesses of their team. This, this Bengals offense and defense too is usually a half slide. Is if it's six man protection, we're working the the back and two of the offensive line, the guard and the tackle work one way, and the half slide, the center. One of the guards, one of the tackles works their point. They half slide to the other side. It's to the linebacker away from the back. It's to create three and three on each side. Just just basic rules. So why it's significant that they're half sliding to a defense alignment means you can manipulate that if you're smart enough. You can create ways to help that out or create the one-on-ones like you said or do what like the Rams did with Von Miller and Aaron Donald last year and Leonard Floyd and figuring out ways to, oh, if you want to do this, okay, well, have Aaron Donald over there if you're going to slide over there. And now we're going to have three guys on the other side. Just ways to manipulate. I know what you know, what I know what you know kind of thing. Um, so I think that's a great point. The other one I want to bring up, 
this is on the back end, is this Chiefs defense has improved. And one of the ways they've improved or have been different in the second half of the year is they're using more dime again. Um, the first time they played in week 13, they only played four snaps of dime. All four of those snaps went for first downs for the Bengals. So maybe it's something they, <laughs> they're like, huh, that didn't really work. Why am I bringing this up? Um, last year, they did 25 snaps combined. They had a high success rate on these snaps against the Bengals. They just let up a couple of those big chunk plays that I refer to with, with, with the blitzes and stuff. This year, out of dime, they they love running two man, which is typical because you're getting light bodies. Now you're not having the mismatches, and they also uh, they love run, running cover two, just normal Tampa two. So be ready for some T Higgins digs dig routes. Bengals love running daggers, and also be looking for Burrow scrambling. Uh, the twelve uh, QBs have scrambled twelve times against the Chiefs and dime. Eight of them went for first downs. <laughs> so. That they're susceptible because they like to be in two man. So be on the lookout for that as well. Cause I do think they're going to lean into more dime with Brian Cook on the field a little bit as the dime player. Just get lighter bodies against a very fast, very good Bengals skill position unit. So maybe look for that in third and long and any blitz looks off of that. One thing we didn't see a ton of in the week 13 matchup, but we've seen a lot recently, especially last week, using Chase as a motion guy. Just yeah. all of the orbit motion and just the way that they could potentially use that to manipulate defenses, but also get the ball on the perimeter. Perimeter yes. runs against this Chiefs team. You can gash them getting the ball to the perimeter and getting balls the ball in your playmaker's hands. Look at the Jags. Like what the Jags did last Bubble, week. Bubbles and flats. Bubbles and flats. Bubbles and flats. Over so and think over. about yes. Jamar Chase running bubble. Yes. Those bubbles. So he can you one hit week thirteen? Yeah. A couple of those, and then also just perimeter runs. Period. They were doing yep. a great job of just relying on the shotgun, pin pull, get the ball on the perimeter really quickly. Let's get it out yes. there. Good so call. I want to see how much of that just get the ball in our guys' hands if they're going to put the top on again yes. the same way they did last time. That's what I'm curious too. The runs that they ran, that's why I mentioned the duo run was great against the two high on first and second down. And also they were running trap. They ran a trap a couple times and that takes advantage of how aggressive Chris Jones is and really Frank Clark as well. Okay. You want to get up the field? All right. We'll just pin you and get seven yards on you. So yeah, that's going to be a good cat and mouse game too, is, is how the chiefs are susceptible to slot stuff as bubbles and flats because they like to be in those quarter shells and then bring pressures off of it or fake the pressures and the Jags took advantage of it. The Bengals do this, so it's not like it's something new for them. So, yeah, I agree. Be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for that way to get uh, for them to attack. It's amazing how much better I feel about the backup offensive lineman about the Bengals after last week, but also with the way that this Chiefs front is put together. You yeah. know, the edges have been playing better, and Karloftis actually split slaps with Carlos Dunlap the last by in Week 13. Like there have been yeah. little shifts with who the bank the Chiefs are on defense, but I still feel like with Chris Jones being the best player here, can you isolate him consistently against the right guard versus what are they going to do at left tackle in this game? Right. You know, we'll see if Frank Clark can turn it up, but I'm less worried about that than I was a week ago because I also think that Jackson Carmen played pretty well last week. Yes. Well, and this also goes back into uh, usually the way to help out the tackles. All right, just give him some chip help. All right, done. And then, but that's the thing. That's why having a really, really good interior defense alignment really can help some stuff out because there's you have to get you have to help them out in a different way. But no, that's a great point. Carl Loftus, he's he's cranked it up in the last couple of months. It's funny him and how different body types him and Dunlap have. Like you couldn't get any more opposite. One's all limbs and one's built. One's built Six, like a weight. One's like a fire hydrant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One's built like a weightlifter, just just like short and stocky. Yeah, no. So uh, no, that, that's funny. Oh. But talk, sorry, last one was that talking about unlocking Chase, especially in the slot. Just look what they were doing last week against the Bills. Yeah. Oh, we'll start in splitbacks, shift, and then they everyone's in a different spot. Again, this isn't theory. 
they have all this stuff in their bag. It's just what do they lean into against this this uh, Chiefs defense? All right. What are we looking for when the Chiefs have the ball? Oh, man. Okay. First thing, well, I'm, I'm going to be staring at how much tape number 15 has on his leg. That's the number one thing. But I am, I, I think this this Chiefs team against the Bengals defense. So since 2021, the four, three of the four worst rush defense games for the Bengals since 2021, three of them were against the Chiefs in their previous three matchups, the two last year and then the week 13 this year. So as far as rest success rate, two of them above 60%, which is absurd in the run game. One of them, I think, was 66%. So two-thirds of the runs were being successful. I think all that, that is what I'm looking at for how much do the Chiefs lean into that? Does Andy Reid stay away from his worst intuitions, his worst, his worst habit of wanting to chuck it and throw a quick game and just get, just keep chucking it? Oh, I got all these cool plays I want to run. Do they, does he stay balanced? I think there was a game plan a couple of years ago against the Bills. I really want to say it was 2020. And the Chiefs threw for 200 and ran for 200. That I think that's got to be their goal for this game as a way to control the clock, understand what Mahomes' his situation is uh, with his leg. He's still Mahomes. But the one big thing, too, is the Chiefs are fantastic running the ball from under center. Mahomes with his leg. That We all saw it last week. He's dragging that leg as he's trying to hand off the ball in the outside zone. Uh, but the Chiefs are second in success rate, running the ball from under center. They're 27th in shotgun runs. That is huge. Yeah. That is so – I mean, that it's is just – It doesn't matter what the numbers are. And that is what I'm curious is do they try to – is Mahomes good enough to run the under center runs? And if not, these shotgun runs, are they able to just find the runs that work against this Bengals defense? They did the previous games, but – can they do it with a defense with Lou Anarumo? That's going to be keying in on that. So that's something I'm going to be looking for more than anything else. The under center run part of this is huge. I was looking at the under center play action numbers. So yes. this season, the Chiefs have 37 attempts on under center play action. They've gone for 531 yards. <laughs> that is a chill 14.35 <laughs> yards per attempt on under center play action. And yeah. that may not seem like a huge deal. It's only 37 times. That's two chunk plays a game. Yep. You're creating two explosive plays a game with under center play action. The goal is to get eight explosive plays in the game. So <laughs> you're a quarter <laughs> of the two. way there. Yes. Two Can he do it? Yeah. Are you feel are you comfortable with him doing that? If not, that's just one more place where you can find some of those explosive that goes away. Their EPA per dropback on under center play action plays this season was two and a half times the league average. It, it was so explosive for that. So good out of it. And so you so then the the other side of the running game, I, I thought that the way the Bengals played them is a huge reason why they were able to run the ball that way. Yeah. Light box on seventy three point three percent of the Chiefs' first downs in their Week 13 matchup. The Bengals average on first down over the course of the season. They present a light box on 41.6% of first downs. So think about that gap, and that's how they play Kansas City. The Chiefs averaged 3.08 yards before contact per rush in this game in Week 13. And you could feel that when you were watching it. And I think another reason for that is that the Chiefs still – lined up in a ton of their heavy personnel in this game. Almost half their snaps, they lined up with multiple tight ends on the field. The Bengals did not play base against it. Except for like short yardage and goal line, they played nickel even to 13 personnel. Do they do that in a game where the running game might have more importance 
because of the way the quarterback is physically. So those are just all of the different questions. It's the, if you know that I know that, you know, (laughs) aspect to this with Anarumo and how the game plan gets shaped because of what Mahomes might be capable of physically. Yes. It's, I mean, that's what's, so that's, this is what it is as a play caller, guys, where you're putting together a game plan. You have all these little arrows, like float, not really, literally, but on your brain, in your brain, you're like, okay, well, if they're going to run this, then we have these five plays that we have to lean into that. But imagine it's like, oh, are they going to do that? What if they, you, we just wasted half of our pr- practice prep time preparing against that. They just don't even run it. Like you, oh, should we waste the time on that? But the heavier personnel thing matters so much. They're using Fortson throughout the year. Uh, the Chiefs were as their third tight end, and now they have Blake Bell back. Uh, Fortson's a kind of a fun little project guy, more of an athlete. And and Blake Bell is, even though he was a project and converted quarterback, is he's the bell dozer. He is a he's a good blocker. Um, it's helped their run game even more when they're in these heavier personnel uh, looks. He was hurt for most of the year, came back late in the year. They had seven snaps out of thirteen personnel in week thirteen. Um, went for three first downs, two fifteen yard gains, so good chunks. Last year, in their two games, they only did it three times, uh, 13 personnel. And talking about those light boxes and the AFC Championship game especially, and that's why the Chiefs fell apart in the second half. And I really do think it led to a lot of the changes that the Chiefs offense did this offseason. I, I, I don't know if I saved the Twitch stream, but I broke down this, the Twitch stream of this game. And watching it was just – it's really fascinating to watch the flow of it because they're – they're blowing the doors off of them early in the game. Uh, I think they were like three scores yeah. um, going into the half. And in the second half, that's when the Bengals went, we're just going to drop eight. We're, we're dropping eight. You're not handing the ball off. You're going to just keep doing quick game and RPOs. And guess what? We'll flood the lanes and we're going to dare you to run the ball, even though you have a lead. And it broke Mahomes' brain. It broke the Chiefs' brain. They kept running their stick RPOs. Tyreek Hill was useless because he's just like, you can't find the voided area. The whole offense fell apart, and I really do think that this offseason, they're like, okay, enough of that. Enough of spreading it out. We still have it, but we're not calling it 15 times a game. We're going to call it three times, and I think it's helped the whole offense being more of a straight run game, a straight play action game, and a straight drop back pass game, uh, a, a traditional missionary offense, <laughs> I think has really – but I really do think that game was a light bulb and a catalyst for so many of these Chiefs changes – I wouldn't go as far as say it was because that resulted in the Tyreek Hill trade, but I think maybe more some comfort level of losing him and going with more B-level receiver talent and more of a using personnel and formations better than what they were doing. I think they resorted to hitting easy buttons so much last year. Hey, everyone's running cover two against us. We'll just do a stick RPO and we'll have Mahomes hit seven yards a pop. And I think now they're like, okay, we can't do that. So we have to find different answers and it's been beneficial for them. I don't, we saw a couple drop eight in the week 13 game, not that often, but they were running a lot of just funky coverages on the back end in the same way that we've come to expect from the Bengals. The result of that was that Mahomes held on to the ball in week 13 longer on average than he did in any other game this season. That's crazy. His time to throw in that game was 3.1 seconds. And you felt that when you were watching the amount of creation and play extension that he was having to do because guys weren't immediately open. That's what I'm most worried about is imagining a guy with a high ankle sprain playing the way that Mahomes did the last time these two teams faced each other is very hard to do. So if they're going to put that much onus on him and it's going to make it, they're going to make it that hard with shutting stuff down on the back end and he has to go into creation mode. 
is he capable of doing that? And even one step further, they were not afraid to blitz him on third and fourth down in week 13. They did it a bunch. They gashed them multiple times. But one, second half. In the second <laughs> half, they gashed them multiple times. Yeah. They were hard, hard-ass throws to the point yes. that I wouldn't necessarily be afraid to do it again because one of the big, big plays that they had against Cover Zero, Mahomes literally takes the snap and sprints back six yards and launches yeah. it 45 yards over the top of the defense. Very normal way to approach that problem totally. as a quarterback, by the way. Totally. But That's how I was taught. That's how Paul Chris taught me. That's the- <laughs> when, you've, when, you, when you're getting Cover Zero, just run back six yards and throw it 45. Yeah, Can easy. he do that? If right. you're sending extra body, I think the conventional wisdom would be, well, you don't have to worry about blitzing because he can't move. Well, do you blitz him because he can't move? Because right. he can't get into that creation mode, are you comfortable bringing some pressure the way you did on third down last game? And are you comfortable playing man coverage because you're not as concerned about him scrambling in those situations? So I think no, these are all the questions that Big yeah. Lou's got to be asking himself here as he's <laughs> thinking about what seasoning to throw on this thing. Well, and that's the thing too. It's blitzes, true five man blitzes, not simulated pressures. Yeah. And that I want to make that distinction because the Bills, uh, against the Bills last week, the Bengals did blitz, but they brought, I, I would say, a half dozen simulated pressures. I want to say it was five uh, simulated pressures and very, very successful ones. Von Bell got a sack. Mike Hilton almost got the strip sack, all that stuff. And why that is a big distinction is the Chiefs' offensive line and protection plan is way better than the Bills. And simulated pressures take advantage of quarterbacks that don't know what the F is going on and offensive lines that don't know what's going on. That's what it takes advantage of more than anything. Chiefs are pretty good at, at sorting that out. Bengals didn't bring any simulated – I think maybe one. I think it was. Zero I had one. one in my notes. And I had one. I think it was yeah. one, yeah. And, and their week 13 game. So it's not something I think they lean to as much. And, but I think that's a great point. And last game, it's one of the, I, my favorite – sequences of plays was third and fourth down in week 13 between this this Chiefs offense and Bengals defense it was pressure 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 until I, I think they stopped them on the first three there's a batted ball in the red zone a missed throw to uh, like a wheel to Kelsey and I think they got a fourth down barely to Juju Smith-Schuster and yeah, then it was the a little whip half, route when they triple teamed Kelsey <laughs> which spoilers is probably going to happen again um, but then in the second half it was that cover zero the one you're bringing up another cover zero where Mahomes hit a sail route to MVS yep and then the and then the final coup de grace of, of of Sweet Lou was that final third down where he dropped eight and showed the blitz and dropped eight and it was just brilliant, absolutely brilliant because it just messed with the whole trope of the game into dropping eight and mess with Mahomes, mess with Orlando Brown because Orlando Brown was oversetting all that stuff. So dropping eight could be interesting too because Mahomes, if he doesn't get rid of the ball, goes into creation mode. That's kind of the standard quarterback answer against drop eight. One and done, okay, creation mode. So Mahomes doesn't have that have that in his bag this game. So I think that's going to be really, really interesting. Two more things. One, their plan for Kelsey is pronounced. Yes. You talk about what their plan for Chris Jones was. It's the, it's the in- offensive version of that. Yes. They're chipping him with edge guys. They're double teaming him with two guys. Trey Flowers, who did not play last week, seems like he might be on track to play in this game. When they play man, he is the Kelsey stopper along with someone else. Usually they are very conscious of we are not going to let this guy take over the game. We're going to do everything we can to put multiple bodies on him. And that's smart. Yeah. That's why Lou is really, really smart. (laughs) That seems like a good idea against this team. The one other small thing that I, I noticed from last game, there were two different plays where the Bengals brought pressures and the back released 
And mm-hmm. the edge man on the line of scrimmage did a great job of peeling off with the linebacker, with the running back releasing mm-hmm. and shut down what should have been two easy options. Akeem Davis Gaither did it once and Trey mm-hmm. Hendrickson did it once. And I think that just speaks to the awareness that this defense overall plays with. It's like, all right, if he's going to do that, I need to peel off with him or he's mm-hmm. going to be wide open. And that shut down what should have been two fairly easy completions for the Chiefs against yes. those pressures. So yes. just so many different layers to where you can see the details in the way that this team is coached. It's really impressive. It really is. It, it's it's fascinating. It's just it's good football. Like everyone should study it. Like sometimes when you watch an NFL defense, and you're like, I don't know. Like that's that's because they have NFL players. It's just good football. Just smart players put in right circumstances and understand what the offense is trying to do. No, I, I love that you brought that up because in a five man pro, when the running back gets out and you're going against a blitz, running backs traditionally are great answers. Like if they're running a flat or a wheel, because you just beat them with speed. Okay, if it's third and two, they're bringing a blitz. We throw it a flat, boom, three yards, first down. So all of a sudden, just throwing an extra body over there, you're taking away that hot answer for an offense. So they have to get out of their comfort zone too. Oh, shoot. Now I need a new hot answer. Oh, now we got to call a different play. Now we got to run six man protection. Boom, 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 boom. Trickle down, trickle down, trickle down. All right. Who's your X Factor in this game? Um, it's, it's this, it sounds like literally the same thing I said with the Bills offense against this Bengals defense is, is the secondary playmakers for the Chiefs. I, I think MVS and Juju, they're going to have to make plays. You brought up the Kelsey stuff and you brought up the doubles and triple teams of that. Lou is smart. I, I think it's that somebody's going to have to win in coverage. Somebody's got to win against zone. Somebody's got to win against man. They're going to have to, they're going to have a lot of third and fourth downs where they're going to be the target and they got to win. Or if it's Kadarius Tony. Or, or Sky Moore, uh, one of these guys ha- is going to have to step up several times or all of them have to step up one, two times each uh, for the Chiefs to keep moving the ball. I'm just going with the interior of the Bengals offensive line. If Love they it. can slow down Chris Jones, then I think they win the game. And yep. I, I know that seems simple, but it just feels like they need him to consistently affect the game if they're going to win yep. based on the way that this Bengals offense is playing. That's Explosive plays, and that's a cheap. Chris Jones is an explosive play guy for the defense. That's yeah. so that totally makes sense. My my uh, sob X factor was Andy Reid's brain, and, <laughs> and <laughs> my Andy, Andy Reid and running the ball. I think is the uh, my other X factor too. If uh, uh, trying to get, I think he he's going for the urban. I think that's their goal. Is the two hundred two hundred? Really, that is that's their goal. Is pulling off the urban. All right, who wins? So my the Chiefs were my Super Bowl pick preseason. I have not wavered on them. I've doubled down on it. Mahomes is my MVP. I if you begin in the playoffs, Chiefs were my pick last week. Chiefs were my pick. Going with the Bengals. After saying all that, I just think they find an answer every time. I'm like, well, this they mitigate all their problems. They highlight all their strengths. They know matchups. Um, I think this is going to be a great game. I think it's going to be maybe a little more low scoring than maybe. I think people anticipate. I don't even know what the total is at this top top of my head, but I do think that the Bengals will find their answer. Joe Burrow is going to play smart. They're going to take care of the ball. Um, I think they grind it out. I think it's going to be like a twenty three twenty game, something of that sort. A lot of field goals, a lot of a lot of drives. Like if that, or not a lot of drives, a lot of plays on drives. Like I think that we're going to see a lot of eight ten play drive, drives in this game. I'm going with the Bengals too. Wow. I just think that a limited capacity yeah. Mahomes against the defense yes. that is so good at putting yep. you in a box that box just becomes smaller yep. and I just have a lot of faith in what the Bengals been able to do on both sides of the ball I, I really yep. do 
and rewatching that week 13 game because I remember I'm like, well, the Chiefs had a good time or had a, had a good time, <laughs> had, a, had a good day moving the ball and all that. But it was, you're rewatching. It's like, yeah, well, that's Mahomes creating that. It was that, hard. It was hard. It was hard. It, it was a it lot was, harder than, than you yes, want it to be for them remembered. on offense in that yes. game. Yes. Yes. And Mahomes gives you the most room for error. And that's what it is. It's, it's a defensive coordinator that I trust to find ways to make it hard on, on what's already going to be playing on expert mode. So that's that's what I'm going with. I'm going with Sweet Lou over Mahomes' leg. <laughs> that's that's how I can kind of sum it up right then and there. Two fantastic games. I mean, awesome just games. every everything you could want from a conference championship Styles. So it's, please yes. come back and listen to us talk about them on Sunday night. We'll be live yeah. on YouTube after the games wrap up. So please come check that out. In the meantime, please listen to the football GM with Mike Sando and Randy Mueller. They came out on Thursday. I'm sure we'll have much more talk about Frank Reich, some of the other coaching news on Monday when we chat with Sando. Please rate and review the podcast. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, we'd love if you left a review. It would mean a lot to me. I would consider it a personal favor. So thank you very much. We'll be back on Sunday nights. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the games. We'll talk to you guys soon. This was the Athletic Football Show.